Let's get into a time of the word. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 10. As always, I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version of the Bible. 1 Kings chapter 10. I'm going to begin from verse 1 onwards. It says, Now, when the Queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue, with camels that bore spices, very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. So Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing so difficult for the king that he could not explain it to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the service of his waiters and their apparel, his cupbearers and his entryway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. Verse 6. Then she said to the king, it was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. However, I did not believe the words until I came and saw with my own eyes, and indeed the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity exceeded the fame of which I heard. Happy are your men, and happy are these your servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. Verse 9. Blessed be the Lord your God, who delighted in you, setting you on the throne of Israel, because the Lord has loved Israel forever. Therefore, he made you king to do justice and righteousness. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold, spices in great quantity and precious stones. There never again came such abundance of spices as the queen of Sheba gave to Solomon. Amen. Father, Lord, we just thank you for an opportunity this morning to come into your house and to come into your presence. We pray, Lord, that even as we go into a time of your word, that you will open our hearts to receive everything that you have in store for us this morning. In Jesus' name, we have prayed. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Once again, welcome to those of you online. I can see your, your comments online. And we have people joining us today from Denmark, from Dubai. I don't know what the time is in Dubai at the moment, but you are all welcome. Now, last week when we began our series, Relationship Matters, you will recall that I said to you that the following three weeks would focus on particular groups every week more strongly, and there will be something in every week that benefits all of us. Well, today, I want to focus more heavily on those who are single and those who are in a relationship, as well as those who might be engaged as well. Again, that's not to say that those of us who are married uh, cannot take something away from this, but that's who I'm going to be focusing on heavily today. So come along with me on this journey. I must admit, I've got a lot to get through today. So it's either I'm going to rush at speed or I might have to um, have some Fergie time and add on a few more minutes. But I'm going to do my best to try and get through everything that I have to share with you today. Now, for many of us who are not familiar with the scripture that we just read, Queen Sheba travels a fair distance to go and see Solomon. In fact, Jesus himself commends Sheba by saying she travels to the ends of the earth to go and see Solomon. Now, I must highlight to you from the very beginning that in no way, shape, form or fashion 
Am I insinuating that the relationship between Sheba and Solomon was a romantic one? That is not what I'm saying at all. However, when I did read this scripture, the Holy Spirit did put it on my heart that actually there's a few things that Sheba does in this encounter that actually make good practical principles for us believers to abide by when it comes to Christian dating. Having said that, please allow me to now clarify two terms you will hear me refer to throughout the sermon today. First of all, dating. Someone say dating. Whenever you hear me use the word dating, I'm talking about two people getting to know each other, gathering data on each other and figuring out whether they want to take it to the next level. The next level being a relationship. Someone say relationship. I know we typically use the word courtship in the body of Christ, which is an 1800 kind of word. It's an old word from the 1800s. It's an old fashioned type of word. I prefer to use the word relationship. So when you hear me say relationship, I'm referring to a courtship. I'm referring to two people who have made the decision to be together, to see whether they're going to get engaged and so on and so forth. So dating and relationship. So there's no confusion in that regard. Everyone with me? Cool. Now that we've clarified those terms, what principles can we apply from this story when it comes to Christian dating and relationships? Today, I'm going to give you three should you be taking notes, which I encourage you to do because these sermons will not be available to repeat and watch again anytime in the next couple of weeks. So you might want to take notes. Here's the first principle that I want to give to you. Number one, be courteous to every approach and every date. Be courteous to every approach and every date. Now, that story we just read between Sheba and Solomon, in verse 1, we see that Sheba heard of Solomon's wisdom. That is a reminder to each and every one of us that our reputation goes before us. There's a saying that we don't get a second chance to make what? A first impression, which is the case, unfortunately, whether we like it or not. It is because of this that we must be mindful how we treat others. Now, you would think that how we treat others should be the standard irrespective of dating or not. You would think that whether it comes to dating or not, you should treat people well, right? Would you agree with me? You would think that, and I would agree. But for some reason, for some reason, when it comes to dating, how people carry themselves towards potential dates and people they date tends to go out of the window when it comes to respect. And I've noticed this because sometimes people don't know how to manage awkward scenarios. They don't know how to manage tension. And as I mentioned last week, I've noticed that this happens because some people lack emotional maturity and intelligence when it comes to navigating the dating space. And it is because of the fact that your reputation goes before you that it is very important how you relate to people, especially when you are dating. This includes how you turn people down that you are not interested in. Did you hear what I said? This includes how you turn people down that you are not interested in. If you ghost people, yeah, I'm going there today. If you don't consider people's feelings, if you are rude in the DMs, 
All of this goes before you and your reputation because people talk. And when I say people, I'm not just talking about women because men talk as well. And your reputation goes before you. More importantly, let me add this. How a person navigates the dating space, how they treat others in this space, is a very good insight as to how they may deal with things that we touched on last week, such as conflict resolution, when it comes to a relationship. So let it be a reminder to you that we ought to be courteous to every date and to every approach, understanding that the person you are talking to is a brother or sister in Christ. And it is your responsibility, the onus is on you to be courteous and respectful to everyone, even if it doesn't work out, even if you do not go to that next stage. Tell the person next to you, it is good to be good. Proverbs 22 verse 1 says, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 1 says, A good name is better than precious ointment. So be courteous to every approach and every date. Number two, the second principle that we can learn from this story that I want to share or give to you today is bring good qualities to the table. Bring good qualities to the table. Now, in that scripture that we just read, Sheba did not come empty-handed. In fact, the opposite is very true. She came with a lot to give. The Bible says that she came with valuable gifts, and the Bible says that she came with a very large retinue. What is retinue? Retinue is advisors, it's assistants, it's important people. And I am a firm believer of people bringing something to the table, including retinue. And I'll touch more on that in a moment. The reason why I say that is because when people are dating, when people are in relationships, they ought to have accountability. They ought to have advisors. They ought to have leaders who are aware in their life. But as I said, I'll touch on that more shortly. And when I talk about bringing something to the table, if it's materialistic, such as finances and things like that, that's great. But there's much more tangible things aside that you should bring to the table that I'm referring to, either or in addition to material things. I say this because we make this mistake when it comes to dating and entering into relationships solely thinking about what's in it for ourselves. When we serve a God who is an example of selflessness, so much so that he gave not one of his sons, but his only son for each and every one of us. We study and read a word of God where it tells us it's more blessed to give than to receive. Yet many people go into dating and relationships with the mindset, what's in it for me? That is not to say that you don't have needs that need to be addressed and met. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that you should be focusing on what can I bring to another person when it comes to a relationship or the dating stage. And I like to think of the example of money. If this represents what I bring to the table and I keep it to myself, 
then my wife gets nothing. However, if I'm willing to give her, and let's say that belongs to her, and we're both willing to give to each other, then we both get. But if we're not willing to get, give to each other, and I'm willing to hold on to everything that is mine, emotionally, physically, spiritually, or she is holding on to everything that's hers, and she doesn't want to give, then none of us get. Can I put 20 pounds back, please? Thank you. Okay? And so the key is to focus on giving so that both people get, and to go into the dating scene looking for someone who has the same mindset as you. Someone who has come to the table looking at how they can support the other person, help the other person to grow spiritually, and help the other person to become a better person. So with that said, the question then is, what should you bring to the table? I'm going to give you at least three things that I believe you should bring to the table when it comes to dating and relationships. Number one, you should bring a sense of independence. A sense of independence. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 11, tells us that men and women are not independent of each other in the Lord. So I'm not talking about this whole independent woman movement. I'm not talking about, I'm a man, I don't need anyone. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about coming to the table emotionally stable. I'm talking about coming to the table and not relying on the other person to complete areas of your life that you have neglected materialistically, emotionally, or spiritually. Did you hear what I said? He or she will, will clear my debt when we get together. Huh? I, 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 will, I will be happy when he comes into my life. I'll be happy when, when we get married. Let me tell you something. It is not your spouse's responsibility to make you happy. You're to bring your own happiness to the table and allow your spouse to add to that. If you're not happy alone, you're not going to be happy with someone. Happiness starts with yourself. Tell the person next to you, happiness starts with yourself. So make sure you bring a sense of independence. Make sure you're looking after yourself emotionally, materially, and spiritually as well. The second thing I believe you should bring to the table is emotional maturity and intelligence. Now, I won't say much on this because we spoke about this last week, and you can go back and listen to that message when it eventually comes out. But when it comes to emotional intelligence and emotional maturity, I'm talking again about your ability to understand yourself, which leads to a level of self-awareness, and understand others. I'm talking about your ability to relate to different personalities and people's emotions, your ability to deal with conflict, be flexible and know when and how to adapt to others and knowing what to say and how to say it. I have met several people in my life who, when offended, they have not learned how to express this in an appropriate and healthy manner. And when I say I've met many people, including myself, because I have been there. In fact, I remember one day just going over thoughts in my head, just ruminating over how someone had offended me for days. Just in my kitchen, just, you know, as you do, putting the kettle on, making a cup of tea, just thinking about it. And then I remember the Holy Spirit saying to me, and so you think you're ready for marriage. I said, ouch. All right, don't rub it in. All right, cool. 
And you see, the reason why he was saying that to me is because many of us feel like we are ready for marriage, but we struggle with some of the smallest offenses, not knowing that marriage is going to give you an opportunity to be offended, if not every hour, at least every day. And many of us have not learned how to deal with offense in a healthy and appropriate manner. And we need to be able to learn how to do this so that we can conduct ourselves appropriately when it comes to relationships. I want to remind you, we never stop growing and learning how to communicate with others when it comes to relationships. You will do yourself real good if you engage other couples, if you speak to couples, if you educate yourself in regards to resources continuously at every stage of your journey, you will grow in your emotional maturity and your emotional intelligence. And the third thing that I believe you should bring to the table is teachability and accountability. Someone say teachability and accountability. When it comes to teachability, if you are not open to premarital counseling, if you are not open to your leadership, to your mentors, if you are not accountable when it comes to dating and relationships, trust me, you will be the same person who won't want to build your relationship or marriage when the going gets tough. You'll be the same person who won't look into resources, who won't swallow their pride to reach out to the right people for help, and you are likely to be the person who keeps everything a secret. However, when you are willing to be challenged, when you're willing to take external input and you make yourself open to growth, when you listen to sermons, when you listen to resources, you will grow and you will change. Now, I understand that theory and practical are two different things. I understand that. I understand that you can learn a lot, but when you're in it, it's totally different. I understand that. But it is better to go in with some theory into the practical than go into the practical with no theory whatsoever. So don't let it be a justification to not learn and grow. When it comes to accountability, I understand. I understand that there's a place for privacy, especially when it's in the early days of dating. You don't want to be talking about something when you don't know if that thing is a thing or not just yet. I understand that. But there is a difference between privacy and secrecy. Privacy says the important people in my life, my close friends, my mentors, my pastors, and my spiritual leaders are privy to that information because they are my covering. They are a window to my blind spots. That's what privacy says. And that's why I said earlier that Sheba came with retinue, advisors, assistants, and you should bring the same to the table. Secrecy says, if I'm asked by those people, I'm going to lie, I'm going to change the topic, I'm going to avoid it, I'm going to hide it from those people. And let me tell you this, the Bible says, an unaccountable person is a dangerous person. So bring a sense of independence, bring emotional maturity and intelligence, but also bring teachability and accountability. Now you may be thinking, if that's how I'm supposed to be when it comes to dating and relationships, if that's what I'm supposed to bring to the table, what should I then look for in a person? Well, the answer is simple. Look for the same qualities you bring to the table. 
How dare you expect something of someone else that you're not willing to bring to the table? I meet people who say, oh, I want a man or a woman of God that prays. Do you pray? It's amazing how many things we want from others that we're not willing to bring to the table. Here's another one I hear. I don't want a Sunday to Sunday Christian, just someone that goes to church on Sundays. Hello, when did we see you at midweek gatherings? If you can't say ouch, just say amen. We don't see you at connection group. We don't see you at prayer meeting. It's amazing, again, how much we expect of others but are not looking to bring to the table ourselves. So if you are bringing those qualities to the table that I just told you about, then look for someone who is courteous to others. Look for someone who brings self-stability, emotional maturity, emotional intelligence to the table and look for someone who is teachable and accountable. And if you are not teachable and accountable, if they are not teachable or accountable, or you're both not teachable or accountable, let that be the biggest red flag that you can think of. Because again, an unaccountable person is a dangerous person. And if you are not teachable, you have no hope when it comes to dating, relationships, and marriage. Now, you may be thinking, okay, PK, that's great in theory to look for someone who's courteous and who is emotionally mature, but how would I know? How would I know? How would I get the sense of someone who is independent or stable, who is accountable? Well, I'm glad you asked, even though you didn't. You can get an idea, again, as to whether someone has these qualities or not by, again, looking at the example of Solomon and Sheba in 1 Kings chapter 10. Look at 1 Kings chapter 10 and verse 1. It says, Now when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. Someone say hard questions. When it comes to dating and relationships, you need to be prepared to ask the hard questions. Not trick questions, hard questions. And this is the first principle, the third principle that I want to give to you today when it comes to dating and relationships. Number one, be courteous to every approach and every date. Number two, bring qualities to the table in which I gave you free to bring and look for. And number three, ask hard questions. The Queen of Sheba tested Solomon with hard questions. Now let me ask you a question since we're talking of questions. If the Bible states that Sheba asked hard questions, is it fair to say that there is a difference between a question and a hard question? We'll all agree on that. It didn't say she asked him questions. That's not what it says. It said she asked him hard questions. I believe hard questions are those that challenge one to think about their future, think about their morals, think about their principles, and go beyond surface level to provide a deeper insight into particular areas of a person's life. I believe hard questions could be deemed as those that reveal the thinking behind a person, their heart, their mentality, their motives, and the hard questions tend to be the open questions. And when you are dating, when things start to pick up, so not necessarily at the beginning, but as things begin to pick up, when you're in a relationship also, I think you should ask hard questions that focus on the following categories that I'm about to give you very quickly. Are you ready for them? 
They are faith, finances, friends, family, fun, and the future. I'll say that again. Faith, finances, friends, family, fun, and the future. I call them the six Fs. So let me give you some examples of some of the questions that you could ask in those areas. So when it comes to faith, you could ask the question, how did you get saved? Not when did you get saved, because when did you get saved? 8th of April, 1992. Question done, over, closed. How did you get saved? I want to know about your experience. And notice I said, how did you get saved? Not are you saved? which should be an indication to you that considering dating an unbeliever is totally out of the question because 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and specifically verse 14 deals with that. So that should be clear to you. The question is, how did you get saved? What is your spiritual background? What is your church background? Do you serve in the church? Which will give you an indication of their accountability. What church are you a member of? Not do you go to, are you a member of? I remember one day a lady introduced me to a guy she was dating, and I asked him, what church do you go to? And he said, oh, you know the church down that road? It's like, when you go past it, I said, what's it called? He said, oh, I'm not quite sure, but I think, I said, you don't go there. You might have visited there, but you don't go there. Don't tell me you attend the church and you don't know the church name, okay? So you want to find out what member, what church are you a member of? Some examples when it comes to finances. When it comes to finances, you can ask questions that give you an insight to their attitude around money. Again, if you ask, are you a giver? They'll probably say yes. If you ask them, are you selfish? They'll probably say no. But if you ask questions like, what would you do with 10,000 pounds if you had to spend it in one hour? You get to tap into their brain a little bit more. Because if you ask someone, what would you do with 10,000 pounds in an hour? And they say, I would use 8,000 of it to pay off my credit card debt. You know where they currently stand. If they say, you know what, I would tithe a thousand, I would give some to my family, I would save some towards my future, maybe go on holiday. Again, you just get a mindset of where they might currently be financially. When it comes to friends, you want to ask, who are you close to and why? I know someone who was once dating a girl and that girl was telling him about another girl that was her best friend. But I started to pick up on red flags when this girl would always talk about this other girl being her best friend, but when her quote-unquote best friend got married she wasn't involved she wasn't in the bridal party or the like and I found out later on that who she called a best friend didn't see it the same way it wasn't reciprocated so you want to know who's your who's close to you and why and you want to see if those people that they are really talking about actually exist and whether there's genuine friendships there you want to ask questions about their family what's their relationship with family like there's no right or wrong question but you want to know because when you get married, you're not just getting married to the person, you're getting married to the family as well. What do you like to do for fun? What do you like to do to relax and enjoy yourself? What do you like to do to wind down? That's what you want to find out. They might turn around and say, I like to get plastered on the weekends. It's coming home, you know? <laughs> so you want to find out what it is that they like to do for fun and be aware of that as well. And then you want to ask questions around their future. They don't have to have all the answers, but they have got to have a sense of purpose. They've got to have something that they're working towards, a goal or few. Faith, finances, friends, family, fun, and their future. And if you happen to use any of those questions, like how would you spend 10,000 pounds in an hour, just 
tweet me, just add me, just copyright me, just tell you know, the person you're dating, I got that from my pastor. Don't just try to jack it and make it as if it was your own, okay? Now, as you get to know a person more, and as you progress on the journey, you can focus on these same areas, but at a deeper level. So I'll give you an example. When it comes to finances, when you're dating, you might ask, how would you spend 10,000 pounds in an hour? That's at dating level. On the topic of finances, when you're in a relationship, you might ask, do you have any debt? And how are you looking to clear that? In case they're thinking of using your money, okay? When you are engaged, you might now take it a little bit further. What are you earning? Because you're going to be preparing together in terms of building a family, okay? So same topics, but you're just taking the questions to a deeper level as the relationship progresses, okay? Now, if you are not in a relationship with me, we are not engaged, you do not need to know about my business. You do not need to know about my credit, you do not need to know about my debit, and you don't need to know how much I am earning. That is none of your business if you are not in a relationship with me. So take those same areas and go to a deeper level as things progress. Now, with that said, when Sheba met Solomon, just to summarize, in verse 1, she came with hard questions to test him. In verse 2, she spoke to him about that which was on her heart. In verse 3, he answered all her questions. Between verses 4 and verse 8, she said to herself, that she, she said to Solomon rather, that she didn't believe. In other words, it was too good to be true. So she had to observe with her own eyes. Between verses 1 and 8, not did she just ask, not did she just observe. Verse 5 tells us that there was no more spirit in her. And so I went away to study what does that mean when the Bible says there was no more spirit in her. And what it means is that she had peace after he answered all of her questions. And I want to remind you that when it comes to courting and dating, you need peace. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding to guard and rule your heart. Please do not ignore that thing that is tugging at you. If something is in you, it's just saying, mm, something's not right, please do not ignore it. Okay, speak to someone about it, but do not ignore it because you need the peace of God that surpasses all understanding to God and rule your heart, okay? Now, as I draw to a conclusion, let me tell you what Sheba and Solomon would not, would not have done or said at this point if and I'm stressing if this relationship was of a romantic persuasion. It wasn't. I said that at the beginning. It wasn't. But let me tell you what I think they would not have done if it was of a romantic persuasion. And I'm saying this because what I'm about to say are some of the following things that I personally believe holds some believers back from finding potential suitors today and those of you watching online you can tell me what you think in the comments and see if you agree with me some of the things Sheba and Solomon would not have done or said I don't think Solomon would have said Sheba's just a sister Solomon is just they're just a brother they're just they're just good friends you know we're just I don't I don't see him like that I mean they're the same age as my as my younger sibling we've known each other we've grown up 
together with each other. You know what, Sheba, I even call her Shebs, and she calls me Solly, you know, we're just, we're just friends. Like, I don't think they would have said that. Yet I hear many single people say that to justify putting people in the friend zone. And let me just remind you that the basis of any solid relationship is friendship. It's friendship. So to consider a friend could actually be a wise move that most people overlook. And I meet so many people who say they're open and they're really not open. They think they're open, but when you talk to them, they're not really open. They're very set in their ways. And I think that if you don't rule people out around you, you open up the door to more possible opportunities. In fact, when you're dating somebody who is a brother or sister, the good thing about it is they have seen you and you have seen them in their true light without pretense. Because you see, if Esther knows that I like her, she can dress in a particular way or carry herself in a particular way around me because she knows I'm interested. But if she doesn't know that I'm interested and she comes to the church, she's going to see me in all my glory because I'm not trying to impress her and she's not in trying to impress me. And sometimes when you consider those around you, it's actually an opportunity for more doors to be open because you've seen what they're like without any pretense. And I don't care what anyone tells me. Once you know someone likes you, you behave differently around them, especially if you feel the same way, okay? So I'm just saying, single people, consider your options. That's all I'm saying. And don't be quick to put people in the friend zone. Hashtag just sayings, okay? I don't believe Solomon and Sheba would have said they have to have dark hair, they have to be taller than me in hills, they have to be at least five years older than me or younger than me, they've got to have curves. All these things are nice things to desire. But as I said at a relationship event yesterday, you, ne you need to separate preferences from possibilities. You need to separate preferences from possibilities. It's not that you are compromising, but actually you need people around you to help you actually really see whether you are looking for quote-unquote perfection without actually knowing it. Because a lot of the times we are looking for quote-unquote perfection and we don't even know it. I want to encourage you to, of course, observe one's character, observe one's integrity and the things that are important when it comes to dating and relationships. Because let me tell you this, a lot of the things that attract us to people are the very same things that annoy us when we get with them. And it's funny because we look at certain things that have no significance on an actual dating or relationship. And so I meet people who say, oh, you know, she's got, she's, oh, he's got muscles. Yeah, he's toned, that's great. Oh, she's got legs, that's great. Oh, she's curvy, that's great. But let me tell you something. When she's annoying you, do you think you're going to be looking at her legs? When he's annoying you, do you think you're going to be looking at his muscles? Oh, you get on my nerves. Oh, but you got muscles still, it's all right. No, okay? Those things are all going to be secondary. I'm not saying don't go for someone who you find attractive. You need to find them attractive. What I'm saying is don't let the things that matter the most suffer at the things that matter the least. Get your priorities right. Tell the person next to you, get your priorities right. Don't let the things that matter the most suffer at the things that matter the least. I've said it before, 
And I'll say it again, I said it last year, and I'll say it again. Swag doesn't pay the bills, and curves do not equate to character. And I'll say, in addition to that, that ladies, he can have a beard and still be broken. Did you hear what I said? He can have the nicest looking beard and still be broken. And guys, listen to me. She can have a bum and still be one. Hashtag just sayings. I said it, okay? So it's not about the outside, okay? It's about what's on the inside of a person. Hashtag just sayings, just sayings, okay? We must focus on the qualities that are long-term. And the Apostle Paul put it this way in Philippians 4.8. He said, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. I don't think Sheba would have said, mm, I'm not sure about Solomon, he doesn't have any game. So this is a game now, which is my response. Where every time when people say, to, when women say, oh, he doesn't have any game. I'm like, is this a game now? Is that what we've reduced it to? Our worldly thinking and our worldly approach. Where did you even get that mindset or thought from? That is not to say, by the way, that I think that you should allow a man to approach you as a woman disrespectfully. That's not what I'm saying. I know there's those men who walk by the street and they make all those animal noises and whistle to call you over. I'm not saying that you have to heed to that. What I am saying is that a guy's approach might not be perfect. But if we're going to be like Christ, shouldn't we look at the heart of the person? Shouldn't we look at what it is that they're actually attempting to achieve? In fact, can't we even go as far to help a brother out? If a brother is mumbling over his words, just ask him, listen, for the purposes of clarity, are you asking me out? Yeah, I'm asking you out. Okay, ask me out, ask me out, ask me out. Would you like to go on a dinner? Yes, I'd like to. Help a brother out. Like, it's all about the heart of a person, okay? And I mean, so many people, so many women say, oh, they don't have any game. And I say to them, listen, if somebody wanted to give you 20 grand and they didn't know how to communicate, would you say, I can't take your 20 grand. He hasn't got no game. Like, no, you wouldn't do that. You know why? Because you value what they have to give you over the approach. And as long as it's not disrespectful, you, there's no problem with helping a brother out. There's no harm in getting clarity. But please, don't think like the world and say, oh, they don't have any game. It's about the heart of a person, and that's what matters. Okay? I don't think Solomon would have said, but what if she challenges my wisdom? What if she earned, ends up earning more than me? What if she's got her own stuff going on for her in her own life? Which I've never understood. I've never understood this concept of, oh, finding a woman intimidating. What is that about? Because she earns more or she has more. I think it's extremely attractive when a woman has things that she can bring to a table because I'm looking for a partnership. I ain't your daddy. I ain't looking to employ you. It's a partnership. So I want you to bring something to the table. And I meet, again, so many guys who are intimidated by what a woman may bring to the table. And I want to say, women, please don't ever dumb yourself down for a man because it's not you, it's them. A real man will not be intimidated by what you have to bring to the table. Did you hear what I said? A real man will not be intimidated by what you have to bring to the table. And let me tell you this, men. If 
You are a real man. You will bring things to the table that money cannot even buy. You will bring things to the table that money cannot buy. A real man will bring leadership to the home. They will bring potential fatherhood qualities to the home. A man will know how to speak to his woman or his wife-to-be in a way that other men may not be able to do. A real man will see things in her that others do not. And those are things that money cannot buy that you should bring to the table. But women, please never feel like you need to reduce yourself because the right person will admire what you bring to the table and add to that things that money cannot buy. And so I conclude by saying let's not overcomplicate the process. Let's be prayerful people. Let's be people who are respectful, people who are willing to date with courtesy and the right heart, people who are willing to treat others with love and patience as well. Again, I meet people when they're dating, oh, he or she doesn't have a job. That's okay, but do they have drive? Because we all go through seasons of unemployment. We all go through seasons of drought. The question is, what is their heart like? What is their attitude like? What is their motive like? There are some people who they don't have a job, but they have ethic. In fact, if she won't mind me saying, when I met my wife, she was unemployed, but when we were dating, I was looking to see if there was that ethic there. And when I would speak to her, what are you doing? I'm applying for jobs. What are you doing today? I'm applying for jobs. And when I saw that ethic and that drive, I knew she wasn't lazy. I knew from seeing the ethic and drive that something would come of it. And it got to a point where she had opportunities to choose from because she had that drive and that ethic. We can be patient with people who have that drive and ethic. It is a problem when somebody doesn't have that drive and ethic and all they have is pipe dreams. When they're sitting at home and they're like, yeah, you know what, man's going to take over the world, isn't it? Like, you know, man's going to, uh, I'm going to set this up. That's great. But in the meantime, Tesco's has vacancies. You can work in the day and do your thing at night, okay? You don't want someone who's sitting on pipe dreams. As long as they have drive and ethic, then you can be patient and prayerful. I want to tell you, let's simplify things so that God can be magnified in everything. And finally, please, 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 single people, do not rush the process. I said yesterday at a relationship event that I was at, that when I was 16, I thought I was going to get married at 18. When I was 18, I thought I was going to get married at 20. When I was 20, I thought I was going to get married at 21. When I was 21, I said 24. When 24 came, I said soon. Soon, innit? And I ended up getting married at 38. But let me tell you one thing I was not going to do on that journey. Compromise. Irrespective of age, irrespective of my desires, my goals, and when I wanted to get married, I was not going to compromise. And I see too many believers today, too many single people who are growing impatient. And they are compromising on the word of God. They're looking outside of Christians. They're looking outside of the church. They're looking to people who they wouldn't normally consider or know is not right for them. But because they're looking at their age, they're looking at their circumstances, they feel a little bit lonely, they are compromising. It's been said that who you marry is going to be the closest decision to hell on earth if you get it wrong. And so irrespective of how long, quote unquote, it may take you, you do not want to rush 
the decision through compromising. I believe if you take the steps that we have shared today and be like Sheba, who herself was a wise woman, to ask the hard questions, to observe, and to put all those things that we have learned into practice and to be prayerful and patient that God will make a way for you. Amen? Amen?